Welcome into another episode of the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm your host, Eric Scopel, joined today by Jared Mack on a special Wednesday mailbag edition. That's right, I said special because before we get into the show, there's some news. This will be the last mailbag posted on a Wednesday. The, podcast, the mailbag is not going away. You can continue to submit questions, but we have moved our mailbag to Monday. A little bit of alliteration, so that's going to become Mailbag Mondays. That starts next week. When I th- we are reconfiguring our podcast schedule. We'll have more updates on that um, later on, but we are going to be recording every single day going forward during the season, and part of that meant reshuffling some of our schedule, pushing our mailbag, or I should say moving it up in the week schedule, if you will, from Wednesday to Monday. So uh, a little bit of an update there. But Jared, how are you on this fine Wednesday morning? You know, we're doing well. It's a fine Wednesday morning, just like you mentioned. Thanks for elaborating. Um, all right. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, so, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving to the point of the year where it is going to be all football all the time. That doesn't mean we won't answer basketball or a straight baseball question here or there, but you can just kind of expect that these are going to be football questions, and it's what it is all day today for Jared and I. We're going to start here, Jared. Um, actually was something that you wrote a lot about on Tuesday, um, for your first edition of your machinations mm. series. Um, and great name, great name, by the way, great, or great name. Whoever came up with that name should get a pay raise. Brilliant. Totally <laughs> he nominated for a Nobel peace prize. Not totally. If you're listening, you know, who may have come up with idea <laughs> for a pay raise, uh, just a joke. But not really. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> your first start. The first question here, I'll read it now from at Duck Cruz. I'll stop dilly dallying. What are your thoughts about the Pac 12, ACC, and Big Ten Alliance? Uh, as I hinted a second ago, Matt, or uh, sorry, Jared, Jared, mm. not Matt, Jared Mack, uh, as part of his Machination series, which he's starting on the site here, um, wrote uh, extensively about this. So I will just throw it your way, Jared. What kind of do you make of the alliance that we learned about on Tuesday? Well, to be to be honest, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. Um, it seemed like just a mildly rushed, uh, emotional decision to try and compete potentially with the SEC. Uh, there's no like contractual agreement. It's all just like word of mouth, like a handshake deal, where the Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten are going to try to play each other in most of their sports. Uh, in the memo that was sent out by the Pac-12, they really lacked a lot of detail and clarity on what it exactly was they were trying to do. They It really just seemed like they were saying, oh, yeah, we're just going to, you know, try to schedule football games and men's and women's basketball games between these people and look out for the health and safety of our athletes and, you know, be, become like an equally like diverse community in our alliance. and. It's like, okay, that sounds great. What, what now? Like where, where, I don't, I'm just not very sure where the three conferences go from here. Is it just an alliance? Is it a realignment? Are teams going to start moving in between conferences? Or is this just like, uh, instead of having to go through the arduous process of scheduling an opponent eight years down the road, are they, is, is Oregon just going to call, I don't know, Michigan one day and be like, hey, want to play and then it's as simple as that it's like oh since we have this alliance since our hands shook 
two years ago, we are going to play. So that's, those are my thoughts right now. I'm sure we'll get more details or it'll all come collapsing to an end because the SEC will offer the Big Ten a bunch of money and then they'll leave the conference. Either one. One of the two. Well, I, I think for me, um, and Jared summed up a lot of my thoughts as well in terms of just like the lack of a, uh, there's a, there's good messaging here, but not really a lot of examples of, of kind of how this is actually going to be practiced. So I, I want to kind of wait. And as Jared said, this is like the equivalent of a verbal commitment for a recruit, right? Like mm-hmm. they make the announcement, everybody gets together, they shoot photos, they talk at the microphone, but it doesn't really matter until they sign something. Um, and so we're kind of in that same place right now with the Alliance. That's kind of the, I guess the analogy I would use to compare something to this. Um, I, the, the only thing I'd add is, is, is this could in theory maybe be um, if, there, if there is going to be some alignment going forward. And I think George Klybkov, the Pac-12 commissioner has kind of insinuated they're open to it now. Um, if that does transpire and if that is where this is headed, I could see this alliance as being kind of like a dress rehearsal sort of deal here where we're going to kind of see what it's like for these schools to play each other, maybe develop some rivalries um, I don't see a theory where you would combine, gosh, what is that, all 38 schools or something that are in those three conferences? That would be a huge conference and traveling from certain parts of every one of those footprints to the other would be problematic. I mean, think about going to like South Carolina to play Clemson during a conference season. So like, I think yeah. that seems far-fetched, but I could see this morphing into something more than what it is right now. And so I, I think this is like the early early concept here and you're right this could totally get scrapped and mean nothing or we could see something kind of cool come out of this I, I i'm leaning towards the second i'm hoping towards the second i'm crossing my fingers praying towards the football gods that clive Cobb and some of these guys can figure a way out of this um because i do think we're headed to a spot where when when we, when we see the college football playoff set up the way it's set up i, I could see the, the sec having the majority of the teams and kind of dominating this thing that's what they're working to work against i guess yeah, I just, I just have a hard time. I'm, I'm optimistic about it, I should say. Um, but I am, there's a part of me that really doesn't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And like how this is going to even work. Um, like we, like we've said before, and what you just mentioned, where it's like, there's, there's no way this can be like the 41 team conference, where, you know, Oregon has to travel to Tallahassee and then go back to Utah and then have a home game. Like that's just not going to work. And they only, again, they only mentioned men's women's basketball and football as like the three sports. They kind of gave the hint that they would try to do it in other sports as well, but it wasn't as just clear. It was more, it was very vague, the entire thing. Um, Hypothetically, Jared, sorry, it's just dawned on me. What would you say if, if, if the, if the end result of this is, each of these conferences goes to eight conference games. I think the Pac-12 is headed there anyway. And the four non-conference games are two games with the ACC, two games with the Big Ten. And that's just the way it is across the board. All of them play four non-conference games, but they're exclusively playing teams from the other conferences. I, I, you dislike that in some ways because you, you lose out on kind of your quote-unquote cupcake warm-up games, but... I could see something like that playing out. Maybe it's not all four are between those, but just where you are exclusively playing power five schools from those conferences and a big component of your annual schedule is those games. And maybe, I mean, it would be in theory cool to envision a thing where Oregon and Ohio state play regularly and Oregon and Clemson play regularly. And those fan bases develop some sort of a rivalry and, and that would actually grow. I, I know it'd be hard for Oregon to compete in those games, at least initially, but that would really grow Oregon's brand if they're able to compete and develop some sort of rivalry with these other big schools, which 
for the most part right now, they're just competing with on a recruiting basis, not on the field. No, I think that would be a blast. I kind of touched on that in my article where I said that you could, with this alliance, you theoretically could easily schedule a Clemson, Ohio State, a Michigan, someone like that as your non-conference schedule. I do really like the idea of having a cupcake game. I think it's very important either to A, start the season, or B, like the SEC does, throw it in between your two toughest weeks of your entire schedule. (laughs) And, uh, you know, just kind of, Gonna give you guys a little confidence booster in between LSU and Alabama, but yeah, I think it would be great. Um, my eternal fear of this alliance is the Pac-12 just gets absolutely destroyed by the ACC and the Big Ten when it comes to competition, and then the Pac-12 suddenly finds themselves exactly in the same place they were. I, w- I was just going to really quickly, not to rebut the point, but I was surprised by this. I think the Pac-12 is like 21-3 and three in the last decade against the ACC and has a winning record against the Big Ten as well. So at least from a recency bias perspective, the competition has been pretty good. I, like, we don't have to belabor this too much. We should move on to the next question. But I will say I, it would be fun just to see how the Pac-12 stacks up against the ACC and the Big Ten in, in more than just a couple of games every couple of years. Um, Agreed. That would, be, that would be enjoyable. So, all right, next one from at goal underscore forced. How close is Ty Thompson versus Anthony Brown? Obviously, AB is currently QB1, but could Mario actually go with the freshman right out of the gate? Um, this is a good question here because I think this is kind of everyone's heads at right now. And, and frankly, Jared, you probably agree. This is like the only storyline that we're really – I shouldn't say the only, but the biggest storyline we're tracking right now. It's just like, mm-hmm. is Brown really the starting quarterback? And um, I, I think it is pretty close. I mean, we've heard, you know, I mean, I mean, again, everything that's said from Mario and the program has been kind of what it is. It's, it's, it's been a little vague. It's the guys are making strides. Everyone's competing. The job's still open. You know, Anthony Brown has gotten the first team reps. I mean, that's kind of what we heard, but there's also been some narratives behind the scene that this really is getting close. And that Ty Thompson has outperformed Brown in now two scrimmages and, and that there's some momentum there. Um, so I don't think you can totally discount this going that way um I would just gosh doesn't it feel a little bit too much even if you think Thompson's better to start him against Ohio State like wouldn't you just feel better about Brown and maybe that's what the real you know cause of conflict is and why this is taking so long is because they they feel like Thompson's the best player for the whole season but Brown's the best for the first part and those are some big games early um I mean that's the internal conflict I have here um I don't know. Where, where are you at with this, Jared? Am I, am, am I the only one who thinks that this could actually be Ty Thompson? Or, or, do you, or are you kind of feeling something weird's going on too? I, I don't even know if it's a weird feeling. This is like just kind of what we're hearing the last two weeks, ever since the scrimmage happened. It's kind of like this, this idea that Ty Thompson could be the starting quarterback at one point during the season was there. And we all kind of thought about it like, well, what if, what if Anthony Brown struggles out of the gate? What if Oregon's one and two or two and two at one point during the season? Like, do they still keep with Anthony Brown or they let Ty run? Um, the, the idea of letting Ty run seems to be pretty prevalent right now. And, but this is, I agree with you where this is the, the biggest struggle is do you want Ty Thompson to start against Ohio State in his? potentially his second career game. 
Um, yeah, that's a lot. Coach Cristobal gives – if he thinks that Ty Thompson is who it takes to win, then I'm sure he'll get the start. But it's, it's tough. It's a true freshman, like true, true freshman, not like Robbie Ashford or Jay Butterfield who were here last year. This is uh, – and, you know, he's an 18-year-old kid. That would be the biggest game of his career by far and just in his second start. But on the flip side, maybe you play a little checkers move and you have him start that game. So then in the future, when he has another big game, it's nothing to him. Um, but And on another checkers move is Ohio State doesn't have film on Ty Thompson like they do on Anthony Brown at this time at Boston College. Um, but uh, this is a tough one. Well, I, I, think, so, oh, go ahead. I think to start right out of the gate, I think it's Anthony Brown, 100%. But I think by game three, I've been saying this for a little bit now, I think by game three, if Anthony Brown kind of struggles at Ohio State, I think that might be the time to let Ty Thompson loose. This isn't in the show notes, Jared, but uh, as the listeners are becoming more aware of, show notes are, are not a thing, really, besides the questions we asked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I just thought this was an interesting way of framing kind of the situation. I got this comment on a story I wrote yesterday from um, a, a Twitter poster, Adam M-O-H-A, and then it's a ton of numbers. Adam, I'm sorry. I, I think actually the, there's like six numbers, and then there's actually an ellipses on his profile, which means he's he's got like maybe this is like the equivalent of pi repeating here where it just goes on forever. But <laughs> but he, he his comment to me was, Mario still hasn't made A-B the starter. Should that make, you feel ner- make us feel nervous considering how much more experience he has over the three guys, but has still failed to create separation? It's a good point. How I would, how I rebutted that, or at least kind of could think a little differently, is, or maybe rather than making this a doom and gloom about how this is, should be nervous about Anthony Brown not being ready. Maybe you should be really excited by the fact that a 19-year-old true freshman who has no college experience is making it really difficult on Anthony Brown, and this should be actually seen as a really good thing. That rather than saying maybe Ty Thompson's not ready, maybe Anthony, you know, well, Anthony Brown's not ready because he can barely beat out these freshmen, maybe we should be looking at it and that Thompson's really special um, and that Ty Thompson's really talented and that he is going to be capable of, of, you know, that the reason there is hesitation is because they actually are thinking, like, can we beat Ohio State with this kid? Um, and maybe that's more of what's going on rather than them going like, oh, boy, is, uh, we don't think Anthony's ready. Man, he's, he's hardly having a shot. He can barely, he's not impressing at all in the scrimmages and – you know, it's, it's got to be one of the, I mean, maybe it's the opposite is, is more of, let's make this more about not rather than an indictment on Anthony Brown's play. Maybe this is just a, a, you know, an example of how well Ty Thompson is playing. So I don't know. I think you can look at it either way. And, and I think honestly, like it makes you feel better to think of it as like maybe Ty Thompson's just really special. And that's why this is so difficult um, for the coaches. Yeah. I think, I think you should look at it that way. That Ty Thompson is that special that he's, giving Anthony Brown a run for his money because Anthony Brown has had all the first team reps since the spring, now the fall. And yet Ty Thompson is still here saying, Hey, I want to think about me for this position as well. And since Anthony Brown can't close him out, I think that's more, I think that's more of a sign to say that Ty Thompson is that good because Anthony Brown has shown in games last year and shown like enough to be, the first string guy and command, command the locker room, uh, have an understanding of the offense and shown that he can be a QB one at Boston college for three years. But I think Ty Thompson is that good where 
Coach Cristobal and staff are really wondering if what 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 version of this team is better, the one under Ty Thompson or the one under Anthony Brown? A lot to think about there. A lot to unpack. I think, you know, uh, if we think Ty Thompson's really challenging Brown for this job, I think we also probably think Thompson's the long-term fit here. And so you maybe start considering what happens around him. Um, again, this is like <laughs> – we're somewhat speculative here, but I, I just think that there could be a ripple effect here. If, if Thompson does win the job of, of what happens for the other three guys, what do they want to do? Do they want to stick around? Do they want to look around? Is, I mean, it, these are things that are decisions that have to come down the line, but what happens here will have a big fallout. I'll put it that way. All right. Next one from at Chadwick two, two, seven. What position do you think is the weakest link? Similarly, what position do you think has the, the thinnest depth? It's a tough one, Jared. Um, why don't you take offense? I'll take defense. Want to do that? Want to divide and conquer? What position sure. on offense do you think is the weakest link? And, and maybe, maybe let's just group these together. And if it's not the same answer, you can opt for another one, but also the thinnest depth. Let's see. Weakest link. This is a tough one. Yeah, it's not easy. No, uh, I'm going to actually, I'm going to defer. I'm going to start with what position I have or what position has the thinnest depth. I'm going to chicken out of the first one. I think, honestly, uh, to, to me, I think the thinnest depth is at running back for, for the offense. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, CJ Verdell is injury prone. It just kind of happens. Uh, Travis Dye is – he's not – he can – he gets banged up every once in a while, but he does run the risk of getting injured just because of his slight frame and how he runs. And if he gets tackled the wrong way, it's not a good thing. And then you have the, the three freshmen behind him. And not to say those guys aren't talented because they absolutely are, but one of those goes if one of those guys goes down as well, then you're really looking at some thin depth. And and when you look at the other position groups, we've talked about the four quarterbacks. The offensive line probably runs nine personnel deep. Uh, wide receiver is still stacked, uh, and tight end now has a lot of reinforcements with Maliki, Madaval, Terrence Ferguson. So I, I think it's pretty easy to say that running back is the thinnest step. Um, as far as weakest link, uh, I might say quarterback. I, I That would be my answer just because of the uncertainty part. Right. There's uncertainty there and it's, there's no real experience going on at least being the quarterback at Oregon. So I think that would be my pick for weakest link. I was kind of leaning at offensive line, but I think there's some really good players in there and I don't think that's that big of a weak link. So I will defer on that and say quarterback and Eric, you are now up with the defense. I, I just to like summarize, this is not easy. And like, I think that speaks to just the overall talent on both sides of the ball that, it's not easy to pick a weak link. There's not an obvious one. There have certainly been past years where there has been like a really obvious answer. I don't think there are to either of these. Um, I guess I'll follow Jared's order of going thinnest first and then trying to assess weakest after. I think there's two options. If you want to talk thinnest groups, um, probably be inside linebacker and then cornerback, both because of injuries and, and because of some stuff that, you know, has happened off the field. You think about Isaac Slade, Matto Atia transferring when he did that, certainly took a big mm -hmm. component away from that inside group. Um, and now we've seen Jackson LaDuke miss some time. I think that's a somewhat serious injury. We've seen uh, Justin, sorry, Jonathan Flo 
being out of the lineup a little bit. There's been so much kind of up and down with depth that they've moved Jabril, Jabril McNeil, who began at outside linebacker and over to inside. Um, you know, and so I'd say that's the thinnest group. I mean, I think you feel really good at the top because you've got Flo and Sewell, which is why you would never pick this as your weakest group, I don't think. But you definitely can argue it's the, it's the thinnest because um, after those two guys, I, I think that the two line is probably going to be some order of Drew Mathis and Nate Hukliani with, with Keith Brown and gosh, I don't know who else kind of fa- you know, also f- factoring in there. So it's, it's a, there's, there is some, there is some kind of concern there after you get past those top two guys. Corner is kind of the same thing just because of the DJ James circumstances. And then Jalen Davies dealing with an injury. It's kind of limited him for a while. Um, I again, feel really good about what you've got at the top there. Cause I think Mikhail Wright's awesome. And then everything we've heard about bridges and Manning has been really positive as well. So I feel good about the talent there. I'm not picking either one for like the weakest link, but I think thinnest right now, probably those two, if I'm picking weakest link, it's probably just interior defensive lineman. If I'm being totally honest, um, like I don't have this data in front of me. I could have, maybe I should have prepared it. Um, but from a recruiting ranking perspective, Oregon undoubtedly has recruited better, at outside linebacker, inside linebacker, corner, and safety than they have interior defensive linemen. And anyone arguing that point just is flat out objectively probably wrong. If you just want to look purely at what's happened from a recruiting perspective, I'm not saying those are bad players, but I mean, the fact is that Brandon Dorlis and Popo Amabai were, or who are two starting interior linemen were, were three-star recruits out of high school. And you have five stars playing inside and outside linebacker. You have a five-star at corner. Your whole secondary basically is four and five stars. I mean, it's, it's from a talent perspective, I think it's pretty easy to pick that group. So I'll say thinnest inside and corner um, weakest group, probably interior defensive line. That group does have a lot of depth, but just doesn't, I don't know right now if I, I think it's the, the ta- most talented group. And again, I'm not including KT from that group. Uh, you know, I, I'm throwing him in there as an outside linebacker. If we want to combine it, then it becomes more complicated, but for the sake of this exercise and to not belabor the point, there's, there's that let's move on to the fourth one from at pack underscore surfrider. As Mario likes to believe football is one in the trenches. I don't doubt offensive line, but what's your take on defensive line depth? Will they be ready to take this team into the horseshoe and beyond hashtag odds and audible? Well, I guess I transitioned right into the defensive line thing. Yeah, man. I, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, uh, I guess I hadn't remembered the next question was specifically D line, um, specific, but it is, uh, like, yeah, I think the depth, I, I, again, I, I just, I just ran through a lot of this. I'll, we'll keep this one pretty brief and we'll move on to the fifth one in a second. But like, I don't doubt the depth as much. I just doubt, or I don't know, doubt's maybe too strong. I have concerns or just a little uncertainty about the top end talent here, the size and strength. Um, I think they have plenty of bodies. I mean, they really do. I mean, they, they probably honestly have more depth along the defensive line just from a pure personnel perspective than you do any other part of the defense. Maybe outside linebacker and maybe safety challenges you there. But you certainly have bodies. It's just a matter of how confident you are in Popo Amabai and Brandon Dorless, and then in Christian Williams and Keon Hudson and Jason Jones and Suave Poti and, and then a couple other guys that are even younger than that. So um, I feel good about the numbers probably just that I, I'm confident they're going to have a rotation of guys that are good and fine. I, I just don't know kind of what the ceiling is for this group. Like this might be the group with one of the higher floors just in terms of like, I'm pretty confident they're not going to suck, but like I also, my, my confidence level of them being really awesome is also like pretty low at this point too. Is that fair, Jared? It is fair. Um, can I, 
I'm going to ask you a question that completely doesn't answer the question. And I'm sorry, Pac, underscore surf rider. Do you think we ever see KT put a hand in the dirt on the interior line like he kind of did his freshman year? Uh, I mean, Deruder's been so coy about this stuff, but he's also been really clear of, like, they're going to use him in a lot of different ways. I asked Deruder, like, straight up, like, is, is are his times with a hand in the dirt done? He said no. Now, I took that to believe that's more of, you know, a traditional defensive end kind of thing, you know, where, where they are playing with multiple defense, you know, three, three to four players to hand in the dirt sort of thing. So I could see – I certainly see that happening. But I, I, I think, like – Here's what I'll say is like, you know, people consider him a defensive end and I think he's still listed there. Like, I, I think the way he's going to be used is either like, I, I don't know. Do we want to consider standing edge players, defensive ends? Like they're kind of synonymous. It just kind of, it's like basically a, a detail at this point if you, whatever you want to call them. Like I, I don't really have an issue that if, if you want to call them, if you want to say KT's a defensive line, that's fine, but he's doing it from a two point stance, not a three point stance is the only differentiation I'd make, I guess. If that answers your question, even. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm just wondering just because it's – I have I have some confidence in the D-line. Uh, I think the interior play will be better than people anticipate. I think Popo and Brandon Dorless are going to cause some havoc. And honestly, I don't know if they're going to have to do too much just because of the pure speed and edge rushing that KT and on a base or Braden Swinson That's a good point. or Adrian Jackson are going to put on the sides. So I think the main purpose for, for Popo or Jason Jones or anybody who lines up in that defensive interior is honestly to plug holes. Um, I, just similar to how Jordan Scott was, where he all he did was plug holes, but that was perfect. That's exactly what you needed in that defensive line. You needed to take up a double team every once in a while, break through over the center or the right guard, and let Kayvon Thibodeau and let Adrian Jackson and Mace Funa go one-on-one against the tackle. And then every once in a while, if they bring pressure up the middle with Flow or Sewell, they're going to get there and lickety split and really cause some damage. So I think, I think the defensive line depth is going to be just fine. And the nice thing, as you mentioned in your comment, where there's so much depth where you can run like seven dudes and be okay, which is great. I think that's going to help with just keeping people fresh. Kind of reminds me of the 2019 team where you had, you know, Drayton Carlberg and people like that off the pine. Um, I think it'll be fun. I think it's ready to take the team into the horseshoe and beyond. All right, next one from at Nash underscore Duckaneer. Which of the following scenarios would you like to see most – sorry, would you most like to see this upcoming season? Defense forcing a fumble and a Damon David recording a scoop and score. Again, his nickname is Scoop. Or Cam McCormick scoring his first touchdown since 2017 and him celebrating with teammates, including a crying Spencer Webb. Um, this is first, an easy answer. First off, like, cool question. But like Jared said, yeah, really, I think a very, I definitely am saying Cam McCormick. Um, yeah. I, I hope you thought that was easy as well and didn't think the, the wordplay of Scoop David was, was superior. You know, I'm a sucker for wordplay, but... <laughs> no, no, too, as, as, is, as is proven by us joking about how brilliant I thought I was for changing one letter in machinations and, and posting uh, it online. Yeah, that's, I'm, yeah I, I guess I'm a genius. sucker too. But... Scoople Damas. over here. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that's more on that later. Um, 
<laughs> but no, I mean, like, like the Cam McCormick scoring a touchdown after everything he's been through and just how that would be received. Like that would be one of the cooler Oregon football moments in like a, a long time. Honestly. I mean, if you know his story and you follow this team close enough and, and this is a guy who's missed three full seasons, none due to his own fault also had to, I mean, maybe people forget this too. When he first got here, he was part of the, you know, the training staff under Willie Taggart running some of the guys ragged and he got rhabdo and was in the, you know, was hospitalized for a while because of that, you know I mean? So he's dealt with a lot, a lot of physical things since being here. And, and if, if the, he deserves some sort of a payoff for this, you know, and I, I hope it's just him playing, but if he actually scores a touchdown, like that's, that's going to be awesome, man. I'll tell you, I, I won't probably shed a tear, but I'll be emotional. I'll, I'll understand the significance of it. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if it's more than just Webb and McCormick, maybe getting a little emotional too, given everything that's happened. So I think that's an easy one. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I, uh, I am intrigued by the idea of a crying Spencer Webb. Yeah, I think that would be funny. It would be fun. <laughs> I think it would be. I don't know why. I keep picturing it like how like. <laughs> are you like, know why, is he sad crying? Like is this like <laughs> really ugly crying or what? What is he? Yeah, like big ugly crying, helmet off, and like Cam's just like carrying him off the field. I don't know why. That's that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> if, if 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 that takes place, my Spencer Webb loses some credit for me because if, if if he's the one who's so emotionally like affected by McCormick's touchdown that McCormick has to console him, something's wrong. <laughs> that's, that was my first visualization of this question. But yeah, Cam McCormick's scoring a touchdown this season after all the struggles that he's been through and yeah. You know, just hearing yeah. him talk about it and the other tight ends talk about how important he is in that room. Yeah, that's the obvious answer here. All right, from at Duck Quacks, another fun one to end the show. He writes, we are 11 days from bang back at Otson. I think by the time we're reading this, it's maybe 10, actually. Am I wrong on that? Hashtag fingers Please. crossed. What are you most excited to see again with a full Otson Stadium? Shout, it never rains in Otson Stadium, Joker and the Thief, the first touchdown, etc. Hashtag Otson Audibles, hashtag I'm not crying, you're crying. Um, always love Ducks for Quacks with his fun answers here. Um, it's 10 days, right, Jared? Are we 10 or is it 11 now? Sorry, I, I'm terrible at math apparently. I, I honestly forget what day it is, even though it's a mailbag podcast. Um, it's the 25th, so looks like it's 10. All right, we'll go 10. Go me. I think uh, the, you know what, I, honestly, what am I most excited about? Mm-hmm. I'm excited about all these things listed here. I mean, I, I mean, like just from like a straight, like just from like a really broad perspective, I'm just excited to see people on the stand. Um, mm-hmm. It was really weird last year. Jared wasn't a part of this, but Matt and I were, and, and, and you know, obviously, you know, a couple dozen media members as well, but like, we were, I mean, I mean, it's, it's one of those things I'll probably have to take some time to reflect on, but like we watched Oregon football games with approximately maybe 55 to 60 people in the entire stadium watching aside from those in the field. And it's just a really weird thing to be a part of and to honestly hear players on the field yelling out their keys before the snap is, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean like just like all the stuff you can hear from a press box, which is, you know, elevated, you know, a mile in the, in the sky almost. Obviously not quite that far, um, but pretty far, that, would be, that would be a really, really <laughs> high press box. But, you know, like we're up there pretty far and we can hear this stuff. So, like, I'm just really excited just to see 
fans in the stands, you know, and, and, and to probably just enjoy all these little moments that Duck for Quacks noted here that are, you know, somebody who's grown up for over, you know, 20 or so plus years, at least going to these games, you know, at a time, you know, growing up with, you know, friends and family to now as a member of media, there'd never been an instance where there wasn't anyone out there. And there are all these kind of little moments you, you kind of, I guess, forget during the moment that are taking place. You know, I think Kenny Wheaton's going to score is probably one I'd throw on here too, in terms of when I, I just remember coming as a fan growing up. And that was like one of the, I, that was always the, the sign that me and my buddies would have of like, okay, we're going to go tailgate and have fun, but we don't, we don't want to miss Kenny Wheaton's going to score because we want to be in our seats by Kenny Wheaton's going to score. Um, so that's always been a fem, you know, something that, that I, that stands out. And, and I think the other ones too, you know, it never rains in Otson stadium. Um, this is a great list. Jared, are there a couple on here that, that stand out most to you as well? Yeah. I mean, all the, all the ones listed here by duck for quacks are, are something I'm excited to see again, a hundred percent. It never gets old, like Eric, like you were saying. Like I, I haven't seen a game in Odson since uh, 2019, so it's been a been a good amount of time. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm gonna be really excited to go through again is like five minutes before the game, once it really kind of hits you that the game is about to start, you kind of get like the the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And you know, get like the like the butterfly, the nervous feeling in your stomach for no reason other than it being a sporting competition. But yeah, like the pregame hype videos, things like that, where you're just like, yeah, this is this is great. This is exactly why we're here. This is football. This is as good as it gets. Um, that's so. Those are some of the things I'm excited for. Shout. It's been a while, and I'm sure everybody who goes to the first game. And a full Autzen is going to be just as excited. Um, I'm excited to hear the, the crowd cheer just on a big play or like where someone gets deep and everybody in the stadium realizes that the guy is behind the defense and everybody gets excited with the, the ominous. <gasps> and then, yeah, it's, it's great. It, I'm just very excited to be back and, and thankful that there's a football season this year. Yeah, no, I think I, I'm in agreement with you, Jared, in terms of the thing I didn't really mention was just the first time someone gets in the open field and the crowd reacts to it. And those are just, yeah. that's just, that's a big part of football. And it's a big part of, of football with fans in the stands. Um, not to end it on like a, a negative note here or a downer note, but I mean, the fingers crossed part of Ducks for Quacks uh, comment here is, is notable. I, I mean, I, there's obviously nothing that's been announced or, and I don't expect necessarily that there will be a change made, but you know, if you've been reading the news and kind of following along that the COVID case counts are, are spiking. In fact, uh, <laughs> I don't want to share, we don't have to go into too much detail, but Jared and I had to get tested a couple of days ago um, mm-hmm. because somebody that was also, you know, covering the team, tested positive so i mean this is the reality is we both, don't know both negative here of it will be i hope to god that they don't impact the first game of the season at all right. i mean it was tough enough not having fans in 2019 losing the spring game losing september 4th would be awful but i do think you just have to be aware that you know things might shift and things might change and that's part of the unfortunate matters of this pandemic Sadly, I hate, to, I hate to even bring that up and kind of end the show there, by the way, because the whole point of the qu- the question was to end it on a positive note. And here I am doom and gloom in it. Sorry, guys. That's my, my fault. Shame on me. Um, Jared, you say something positive now. Me? Something positive? 
Yeah, we got uh, better. We got to end this on a better note than than me belaboring the fears of maybe fans <laughs> not being able to watch football games. <laughs> we have we have ten days till Oregon football. I mean, it's just it's the best time in the world. It's, it's almost September. We're gonna have NFL, college football. This is week zero. So last weekend was your last weekend without football on your television every weekend until you know February. So yeah. That's why we should be excited. Couldn't have said it better, Jared. Thanks for saving. Thanks for salvaging the ship. It was going down. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was swimming along fine, and then, uh, and then I decided to run into something and, and you know, potentially sink it. And you, and you, I think you pulled this off. You don't need, we don't need those lifeboats anymore. Um, yeah, that's why we keep buckets in the boats. You gotta shed the water. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, as I said earlier in the podcast, we'll be next week. We're going to start six podcasts during the week. You know, we're going to really go into podcasting. We're going to have a bunch of different fun things. We'll have some guests. We'll obviously preview the game, make some predictions, um, do some mailbag early next week. Again, that's going to be mailbag Monday from now on. We've got a graphic and everything. So those prompts for the podcast recording will probably go out Saturday, maybe Sunday at some point. Um, so a little bit earlier. So keep an eye out for that if you're someone who likes to get a question in the prompt. The prompts will be coming out a little sooner because we are shifting to a mailbag Monday. With all of that out of the way, and I think after what I would describe as a, a pretty enjoyable podcast, hope you enjoyed as well. Uh, that will do it on this week's episode of the Mailbag Ots and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. For myself, Eric Scopel, and Jared Mack, talk to you later, folks. Peace.